It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James and welcome to the show today. We're going to be discussing Fulham's 3-2 victory over Leeds United at Elland Road. What a sweet, sweet win. What an away day I imagine it was for all of those that made it up to Yorkshire. Another 3-2 win away from home. Our fifth win of the season. It's as many games as we won under Scott Parker in 2021. Wow. What a time to be a Fulham fan. Seventh in the league. This team defies expectations every single game and it might not stop here either. So... Here to discuss everything that went down at Ellen Road with me yesterday is the double acts that did Friday's podcast as well. Uh, they're on Fulhamish a lot at the moment. Dan Cook, hello. Hi, Sammy. How you doing? I'm very good, thank you. Uh, I'm currently in Austin, Texas. Um, you'll find out a little bit more about that at the end of the show. But yeah, I've had a great weekend. Jack Collins, hello. Hello, listeners. Hello, Sammy. Hello, Cookie. It's all. It's good to be back. It's good to be back. At the end of today's show, part three, I went to meet the guys at Fulham, Texas, the Fulham, Texas Supporters Club, uh, who watch every game at the Hop Squad Brewing Company uh, in North Austin. And we went to watch the Leeds game with them yesterday. And uh, we've got a a little interview with them, about 10, uh, 12 minutes long, um, all about what it's like to follow Fulham from the USA. So stay to the end of the pod for that, uh, Met. Drew, Stephen and Justin uh, giving their thoughts. Um, It was a very, very enjoyable day. But without further ado, let's do some three word reviews from yesterday's win in Yorkshire. Jack, what have you got for me? Well, there was there was lots of good ones. And and actually, a lot of them revolve around an event that actually didn't happen. (laughs) Can we just (laughs) talk about that? There's Jesse sent marshing by Josh Whitcomb. Uh, Tom Gray checks with William the Conqueror, which to be fair is about about the best of the lot. Um, Richard Kaufman with Lampard's sack trick. Uh, Rach Stephen Shaw with the firing squad. Um, And Matt Wall with sack to sack wins. Now, they're all good. Like They're all really good. There's some really, really clever wordplay in here. But... Can we just have this? Jesse Marsh hasn't been sacked. No, he hasn't been sacked. And I think this is the important. Yeah, but he's not going to be sacked before another game. So therefore, I don't know. What do you mean he's not going to be sacked before another game? He could be sacked tomorrow. He's not going to be sacked tomorrow. I don't think so. Like all the stuff that's been coming out, like if you compare it to what Gerard was saying, what Marsh has said, it just doesn't seem like it's coming. I mean, look, obviously football's a bit mad and, and sometimes these things happen, but every noise out of Leeds suggests he's been given at least the next two games and probably to the international break for the World Cup. So yes and no, but like, obviously I love the idea of Marco Silva like marching around the Premier League like some sort of managerial <laughs> Grim Reaper. But like, I I really enjoy the idea of it, but it's like, it's all a bit, well, I don't know, it's up, it's up in the air. I, I think... Yeah, the firing squad by Rach Stevenson is probably the, the, the closest to exactly where we're getting at, right? Yeah, I, I mean, 
I, I don't think Frank Lampard's going to be too excited to be uh, facing Marcus Silva. No, he's not. But he also won three nil. He won three nil at the weekend. Yeah, he's uh, he's not going to unless we won like twelve nil. I think that he's probably safe in his job, no matter what happens on Saturday at the cottage. Let let's skip away from Jesse Marsh. I'm sure there's plenty of Leeds podcasts that can do the dissects on uh, his managerial future. Let's focus on Fulham, Dan. Look, I'm in Austin. It's great. I've had a great weekend, but I was insanely jealous that I wasn't in the away end at Elland Road yesterday. So I'll live vicariously through you. How was it? Oh, Sammy, I, I feel bad, but it was amazing. Like oh. if I was, to, if I was to, for you, if I was to compare it to maybe something like the elation and the smugness of Borough away last year. It was that sort of level of going into a cauldron of noise and coming out at the end of it with three points and leaving a, a load of Northern fans dragging their tails between their legs. Like it was, it was a lovely, lovely day out. And it started really badly as well because I woke up and there were weather warnings going around the whole of the UK saying that travel's going to be disrupted. And me and dad at half seven in the morning thought, oh, Imagine if we just get stuck up in Leeds. Like, is it even worth it to get stuck in Leeds on a Sunday night? And we were like, we'll get home. Whatever happens, we'll manage it. And I'm so glad we did because I'll never forget. I'll never forget yesterday. And just to top it all off, again, not to make you even more jealous, Sammy, but being on the same train as the Fulham boys on the way back and having that moment in King's Cross when they all piled off the train and all the Fulham fans chanted them away off to their coach. It was just glorious. It was such a wonderful day. Yeah, I've seen uh, that there's one particular video going round on on Twitter and I, I don't have the name of who did the video to hand, so I'm really sorry. But hey, basically everyone's singing the Polina chant and just like hounding Zhao Polina, who kind of is like loving it, but also wants to get the hell out of there at the same time. Um, oh, just absolute magic. And Jack Fuller was so good. We were so good. And actually at 1-0 down, and as annoying as that goal was, not really sure what, everyone was doing I was just was like I don't think this is the end I think that Fulham are going to get back into this because we just looked like we were carving them open at will and it was annoying the way that we went one nil down really because I, I honestly was like we've been the better team here by far we look just so much better in every department we look sharper quicker like we've got more of a plan than Leeds it just is sensational what Marco's doing on that training pitch yeah, we were 1-0 down for very long, was the, no. the kind of kicker of, of, of all of it. Um, I don't know. I, I wasn't as confident as you, Sammy, because I thought Leeds started okay. Um, Sinistera was causing us problems down that left-hand side. Jack Harrison got away a couple of times down the right. There was a couple of wiggles through the box. Yes, obviously the Harrison re-chance is the, the first big chance of the game. And he's very unlucky not to notch his third league goal of this campaign. But... You know, it was one of those where you're like, ooh, they started on, and look, Cookie and I spoke about this on, on Friday. We said, the one thing you don't want to do is let them score an early goal. You know, because we know how quickly Ellen Road can turn. You know, they are a volatile, if vociferous fan base. I think it's probably fair to say. I don't think that's mm. disrespectful. And, you know, if you could go, all right, they've had a terrible result against Leicester midweek. The fans are starting to turn. Can you get the first one? and really put them under the cosh. The one thing you don't want to do is, is let Leeds get a foothold and let them get behind the side. But actually, that was the really nice thing, I thought, about the, the goal coming so quickly as an equaliser. It silenced that brief blip of momentum 
that Leeds kind of got. And and then from there on, I thought it was relatively plain sailing. They had a good spell right at the start of the second half. But yeah, I think overall, across the course of this game, Fulham were by far the better side, even if maybe the the, the kind of XG and the, the statistics don't bear that out completely. I thought we were in control. And, you know, whilst most of the major opportunities fell to the first half for us, and we should have probably gone in into the break in the lead, it, it just felt like it was coming. And, and so it did. And so, yeah, I think you're, you're absolutely right in, in that respect. What Marcus Silva is doing, the belief this side have in their ability to score goals more than anything else is exemplary. And look, there's only been one game where we haven't scored this season. It's We're currently, I think I saw earlier, we're on track for scoring 70 goals this season if we to keep up our current scoring rate. Now we're on track to concede 70 as well. So there's, there's that yeah. that we can come on to. But overall, the ability of this side to make things happen, to score goals and to, to really punish teams when we're, when we're playing well is, is very impressive. And, and that's what made me the happiest, I think, on, on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, Dan, we are the fourth highest scorers in the league, joint with Liverpool, who scored nine in one game. So I think that's got to be taken into the equation. We are one behind Spurs. Um, we are three behind Arsenal. Yes, we're a long way behind Man City, but like, there's no point worrying about that. And yes, we have conceded a lot too, but just like three goals in this game, three goals against Villa, two goals against Bournemouth. It does feel like we're able to score at will. And yesterday, you know, Andreas Pereira missed such a good chance to make it four. There were other big opportunities that Fulham didn't take, times that we actually kind of got through on goal, but it just didn't fall for us or the people slipped. Like we made chances at will. We did against Villa as well. Going forward, this team has got such a plan. And yes, it's all a little bit hairy at the back. And what we said as well, like so many times, maybe early October, well, you know, it's it's unsustainable for Fulham to score three goals in every game to win. But at the moment, it seems quite sustainable. We seem to be kind of managing it. Yeah, it's relatively sustainable if you just keep doing it, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> there is an air of that. I do think that, that yesterday, I see as very much a win that Marco Silva and his coaching staff deserve all of the credit for. Our players were magnificent, but I saw something different from Fulham yesterday that made me think that, that this was a real, you know, they put a lot of effort. And when you consider the short turnaround time as well, when you've got Friday and Saturday to prepare for this game, Fulham was so brave in possession. And I want it to be a case study yesterday in why when people shout at us for playing out from the back, this is why we do it. Because if you are brave against teams that press you high, and if you back yourself to break their press and break those lines, you can create chances. Now, Leeds are, are always heralded and they have been since Bielsa as a, a good pressing team. And I thought at times they did press well, but it was Fulham's bravery in possession, and especially Tosin and Tim Ream, and also the two fullbacks, to try and find solutions to that press, to find passes into Polina, to then try and find Harrison Reed, who, I mean, I, I don't know how he managed to get up and down that right flank the whole game, as he, I mean, he does it all the time, but even in, in a game like that yesterday, I thought it was exceptional. And we created chances because we took risks in possession and it made me so, so happy to see it. And the number of times we broke through that Leeds press and suddenly we had three or four men isolated up against Leeds' two centre-backs, I thought it was exceptional, especially when you consider that Leeds were a little bit 
safer, I would almost say, than you would expect from them. Having Pascal Stryker at left back was a little bit of a nod, I think, to, you know, we can't be too gung-ho here. And even then, Fulham were able to pick their way through. Jack, we've got to talk about Harrison Reed. Um, he is getting so many plaudits, rightly so. I absolutely love it. The E word is getting mentioned more and more frequently. Um, can we reserve him a seat on the uh, on the plane? <laughs> I don't think so. Um, I'd Should love to, we I'd reserve love, a seat I'd on the plane? I'd love to be saying yes. Should we reserve? I mean, I think that if you look at the current midfield core for England and who's going to be on that plane, you would say that Harrison Reed is having a better season than pretty much everyone apart from maybe Declan Rice and, and definitely Jude Bellingham, right? But that that's the truth of the matter right now. But I don't think that's going to translate in, in no. Gareth Southgate's thinking. So that that's kind of fair enough. But I, I do think that an international call-up is likely at some point if he continues his kind of form, especially if Fulham continue to trend towards the top half of the Premier League table. Because if you're seeing James Ward-Prowse play semi-regularly, for England, despite playing for a Southampton side that regularly finish in the bottom half of the table, I think you'd be mad to then look past a player like Harrison Reed. His age slightly maybe counts against him in that he's only really looking at getting any sort of international call-up whatsoever at the age of 27. But in terms of form, I, I think you'd be mad to not consider that, especially with a relatively weak core in, in this England side in midfield, Whereas it's probably the only place in there you can say, well, England are a little bit light there. I, I think it would be mad to not think that he might have a chance, especially if a new face or a new manager comes in post-World Cup, depending on how that goes. I, I think if they're looking at this with a fresh set of eyes, his currently performances probably can't go unnoticed for that much longer. Do you think maybe there's um, a hint of Irish in him? Maybe a quarter Irish. Have I was really hoping digging? this, um, <laughs> but it doesn't look like there's much. It doesn't look like there's uh, there's anything I can fall back on. But I, I was hoping he might just randomly declare for the Republic. But the only problem with that would be I'd be like, why haven't you done this six years ago, my guy? Because <laughs> you'd have about sixty caps and be wearing the armband by this point. Um, but I mean. Dan, it was a Rolls Royce. That touch that he does late in the second half and then he absolutely pings it in the middle to Mitro, who probably should have done a tad better with it. It's kind of a bit of a tame shot in the end. He's, and, and, they, and Mark Chapman referenced it on Match of the Day 2, which I was watching earlier. It's sublime and just typifies everything about it. But then the goal and the fleet of foot to, to get around those Leeds defenders and pull it back for Willian... It was Harrison Reed's goal almost. Yes, William was the one that touched it off, but but Harrison Reed was the one that was being congratulated. Yeah, I, I got weirdly emotional when he did it, Sammy. And I, I was on the Fulhamish Twitter that day, and I, I, I got I just the, all of the emotions just swept over me, and I demanded a knighthood for him. But I was just he was just sublime. And yeah, this is the thing we said on on Friday, me and me and Jack, that the fact that he's added this ability in the final third to his game. And this, I mean, this is a process that has started at the start of last season under Marco and has progressively improved. And, you know, these things do take time. 
but it's meant that he's come into this season sort of ready to take on this new responsibility. And seemingly, which is ridiculous, he keeps on getting better in every game, which feels impossible because you look at some of his performances and you're like, oh, Harrison Reeves dropped a, a nine and a half out of 10. And then suddenly it's a 9.6 out of 10 the next week. And he just like keeps on going. And I'd have given him an 11 yesterday if I could. I don't know what George Rossiter gave him, but I hope it wasn't 11 because he was just unbelievable and it's it's those spaces so that that one you talked about when he whipped it into Mitrovic it was those positions that he picked up that caused Leeds so many problems and they said it on the match of the day commentary just as he was whipping it in saying I think it was something along the lines of Harrison Reed feels like a player that Leeds are going to have to get a handle on at some point in this game and they never did like across the whole 90 minutes at no point did they they stop him in possession or even out of possession because we know everything he brings out of possession and just watching someone who is five foot, not very much, dominate an entire game of football is, is brilliant. Short King season, isn't it? <laughs> he got a nine out of ten, by the way. Uh, on disgraceful uh, on George Ross, a man, a man uh, of the match, yeah, a man of the match. <laughs> but uh, Dan, I've actually got to give you some kudos here because uh, a week ago, after the Bournemouth game, he didn't have a great half. Um, that first half um, against Bournemouth came off for Tom Kearney, who, who did so well and classic reactionary fans as we all are we all said oh Kenny gotta be starting the next game against Villa and you put some word of caution to it saying that look you know Tom Kenny did really well it was a game that suited him Bournemouth sat back he was able to dictate play and you said I don't think like Tom Kenny would get such a luxury against Aston Villa now he maybe would have actually got quite a bit of time because they were so poor but I th- you you called it right. You said no. I would keep Harrison Reed back in for for Villa and Leeds. And look, a week later, we're we're trying to get him an England call up. So um, I'm just going to give some some kudos to you for that. Oh, thanks, Sammy. Really appreciate that. Um, the second goal, Bobby Deckard over Reed. Um, I want to. Oh, it's a lovely little header from Reed. Why our right back is in the box like that? I was like, Bobby, have you just forgotten where you were playing for a, for a hot second? But anyway, it's a lovely little cushioned header from Bobby. But I feel like we need to talk about Andreas Pereira and and the way that he can deliver a ball. I mean, it was his obviously his corner for, for Mitrovic's header. Um, what a whip that man has. It's just, it's, it's such an asset to us, Jack. And he really is playing surely the best football of his career now. Like this, he is settled in so quickly. It took him two or three games and I was a little bit worried those opening games. I think Farrell mentioned something similar on the pod uh, a couple of weeks ago. But now, I mean, there's just no debate that he's in this team. And if only he could, if only he could finish that one-on-one, that was the only disappointing part of his game yesterday because I thought he had another exceptional performance and he breaks through the lines at speed. He's always making the right decisions, I think, apart from not to go around even Melier. Um, other than that, like what a player we've got. And, and yeah, those crosses, particularly with the level of player that we've got inside the box, you know, Mitrovic, but also we've got tall defenders and, and Bobby Deckard over Reed. Um, yeah, it's it's such an asset that we've got and uh, a real masterstroke of a signing. Yeah, 100%. And, and, you know, you look at, we talked about players with a point to prove in the summer, right? And and, and he very much feels like that. And look, it's, it's as much as his off-the-ball stuff as his on-the-ball stuff, I think. Yes, his set-piece ability is exceptional. Um, but more than that, I, I think, you know, I said on the kind of positives and negatives. He hassles and he harries, he draws fouls, he leads the press, he leaves everything on the pitch every time. And 
there are certain players like this, right? Obviously, sometimes you have Rolls Royce players who stroll around, you Dimi Berbatovs, right? Who who are so good that it, you kind of almost in awe of their nonchalance. But when you don't have that, when you're not a Dimi Berbatov, and, and let's be honest, Pereira isn't, you know, what is really impressive, I think, is that even when he knows he's not having a good game or even when things aren't going his way or falling for him, he continues going. And a lot of players would let their heads drop after missing that one-on-one, I think. You know, especially if you're someone who there has been questions about your goal output, considering you're playing in an attacking role and there are lots of players scoring in this team at the moment. You've obviously created the first goal with, with a set play, but he continued to be excellent and he he draws fouls beautifully. Um, th- this is something that maybe goes under the radar a little bit, but I think he got Cooper booked relatively early on with a really nice little um, like turn out of pressure. He has these moments that you go, okay, and suddenly the pitch opens up in front of him and everyone else with the ability that we have in there is free to do the things that they're really good at. And and that's what I like most about Pereira. He, he kind of slotted into this Fabio Carvalho role and we were worried about it, right? Because it wasn't just Fabio's brilliance in shifting, you know, the ball around and his changes of movement, but also the fact that his work rate was so good and he snapped into challenges and he, he made the the pitch smaller for Fulham in, in that regard, able to get up the pitch. Pereira's doing that beautifully. Um, and, and that's, I think, the thing I'm, I'm most pleased about. He, he's really, really really impressed me with his off the ball stuff. His pressing is exceptional. Um, and and ultimately it allows other players, the likes of Mitrovic, the likes of the wingers, the opportunities and space to give up, you know, to, to actually get to their best level and, and do what they're best at. And and that's a player that brings everyone up around them. And so far, everything Andres Pereira has done in the last couple of weeks has been, has been remarkable. If I can add to that as well, I think this is this is so true. Every, I mean, everything Jack said is is spot on. The other thing that I think is is really impressive, and it shows you how important he is to us. If you look at, at key passes, so it's a slightly misused stat, but it basically just means a pass that leads to a shot. Um, he has completed more than double key passes than any other Fulham player in this side. So he's he's completed 29 key passes and next is Harrison Reed with 14. So you can just see how important he is as that final ball, as that link between our, our midfield and our attack. He's vital to the way we play. And yes, it would be great if he could introduce some more goals into this. And I think he has got it in him. But at the moment, his output, both in possession and out of possession, is fantastic. The other thing that I think about Andreas, and and it's part of the benefit I think that we're getting under Marco Silva at the moment, because we're not. There's a lot of jobs going around at the moment, and Marco doesn't seem to be linked with with any of them. It is sometimes the benefit of someone that was at a high level that didn't succeed, and then giving them a second opportunity. And Andreas, right now we have that with him. Look, we're going to get links um, for Jalpalinia. All, probably already um, for for the summer, but I feel like Jack that Andreas, he's here for a, quite a while because he's here to prove himself. He's kind of been to that top level. He's going to know that it's going to be a long time before he gets linked back to kind of anywhere near where he was um, in terms of the stature of club of, of, of Manchester United. So that's that's hugely exciting. Is that I, I feel like Andreas is a pre- player that's going to be here for for quite a while to come. Yeah, completely agree. It's one of those where you're looking at it and going, okay, you've had a couple of relatively disappointing loan spells before the one back in Brazil where we did okay by pretty much all metrics. Um, but there were some to other clubs in sort of European competitions, your Lazios, your Valencias, where things didn't quite go to plan. So I think 
you know, there's something to be said for finding players who are looking for a home and, and somewhere to set up. You know, he's not as young as he once was. You know, he'll, he'll be looking at this and thinking... None of us are. Yeah, that's the worst <laughs> worst phrase of all time, isn't it? Um, I wasn't going to say anything, but... No, I'm no, no, it's true. Um, but, you know, he, he's not coming to the end of his career by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. But I think he has been moved around so much that he's probably looking somewhere to, to settle down a little bit. Now, obviously, this is guesswork. This isn't, you know, what we've heard from him, but... He seems to be in a good place. You can see his head's screwed on. He's very, very passionate uh, about when, when things go on. He's always in the mix with, with celebrations and things. And I think this is important, all of it. it. It kind of contributes to that feeling of togetherness. And there's a good Portuguese-speaking core at the club now, right, as well, because all the backroom staff, Marco and, and Louis Bo, obviously, and then Pelinha and, and the Brazilians, and then, you know, a couple of, a couple of Portuguese players as well. So... There's a there's there's a community kind of feel to it as well, and I, I think with all of that coming into play, Andreas is probably quite happy, and therefore is going to be one of those players that might well stick around. Sammy, I, I think you're probably right. All right, we're going to take a break there. Loads more talking points from yesterday's game after break. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once; it's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy James here with Dan Cook and Jack Collins. Uh, thank you to all of you guys who support Fulhamish regularly in the Fulhamish community, uh, back in the content that we make here, uh, which is generally either done by Dan or Jack at the moment, seeing as they seem to be doing everything, um, articles, videos, podcasts. They uh, they seem to be doing the lot while I uh, gallivant around the world. Um, but no, it means a huge amount, um, the guys that that support us. The Telegram community has been an awful lot of fun, which is a bit of a thank you, uh, a bit of a bonus to everyone that uh, backs us monthly via the Leveller platform. Um, yeah, it was it was popping off in there yesterday. I couldn't keep up with the amount of messages of people getting really excited. Um, and, and I met one of them. Uh, one of the people in uh, in Austin was it was a guy called Bart McKay, and uh, he's in the Telegram quite, quite regularly. And I and I met him at the bar yesterday, which you'll uh, you'll hear in part three. So uh, if you want to back us uh, and and help us. Um, keep us doing the content that we do you'll find uh, a link in the description of this podcast or you can head to the Fulhamish website click the button support Fulhamish and you'll see the links uh, to that there but as ever if you can't support us or you wish not support us all of our content remains free for you to enjoy and that is how it'll always be we hope anyway uh, let's move on then to a few other discussion points from yesterday's game um, we haven't even mentioned Willian yet um, I know that you guys 
spoke a lot about him on Friday's podcast because against Villa, he was he was so impressive. You even named the podcast um, after him on uh, on Friday. Um, but just again yesterday, like popping up so effective, so neat, so tidy, Dan. That's that's the thing that I can't get my head around is just what a, he doesn't give the ball away. He's so good at controlling it. He plays the game at his pace, his tempo. And um, I know that we've got like Wilson back and like that means that there's not much space for Niskin's Cabano. We've got other wingers at the club, but he feels a little bit undroppable right now. He really is. He really, really is. And I think this is the value you get out of the experience that Willian has, but also the technical ability. And I think it's when you combine those two things, it means that players can play beyond their years. So especially as, as a winger, if, you, if you're a winger who has always relied on on raw pace, you're, you're more than often going to fade out a bit quicker than than other wingers who maybe use their technical ability or their brain to more effect. And that's what William does. And it's, it's, it's that combination and it's, it's his ability in tight spaces, which is fantastic. I love it. The first side we got of it was on his debut at Spurs is he, he received one pinged into him on the edge of our box. And we managed to play out just because of his close control and his awareness. And then this translates into, into, to games like yesterday when you're playing against a team who doesn't want the opposition to have time on the ball and will press the hell out of you. Having someone like Willian, who is pretty impressively press resistant by just being smart in situations, by knowing where the space is, by knowing who's pressing him, it's so, so useful. And I think we saw it, this is not a slight on Niskins, but we saw it when he came on that he doesn't quite have that same impact as as Willian because Whilst Niskins has that close control and he's an exciting player, Willian is just so experienced and so smart with it that even at, what, 34 years age, he's, he's causing teams problem. And I'm so glad because that some of the stuff that came out when we signed him is it was was really unfair and it was unfair towards him and it was unfair towards Fulham. And so I'm glad, and I'm, I know lots of Fulham fans are glad, that there are people who are going to have to eat their words or keep quiet about him from now on. Yeah. Uh, I mean, all the talk, Jack, when we signed him was, oh, he was rubbish at Arsenal. He's not the player he used to be. He, he was rubbish at Arsenal. <laughs> yeah, but then I, I knew, I always had a feeling Arsenal that- Arsenal were rubbish at that point as well. Like, yes, yeah. and I always I had think- a feeling that being rubbish at Arsenal did not necessarily mean you will be rubbish at Fulham. Like, it's two wildly different clubs with wildly no, different expectations. This is it. We're not demanding perfection, right? And and there are still flaws in his game, uh, especially I thought Leeds attacked down that side quite a lot in the first half because his tracking back is not as good um, as Harry Wilson's on the other wing. And Anthony Robinson did a lot of legwork to to help him out. But Anthony Robinson did, did well with that. Actually, I thought Anthony Robinson, yes, he made a mistake for the first goal, but on the whole had another very, very good game. And his improvement levels continue to, to shine in this mm. film team. But yeah, I think you're absolutely right. But, you know, I, th- I think it's fair to be like, this is a, a move that you can look at and be like, oh, I wonder how this is going to go, considering that he had one good game for Arsenal against us. Maybe just loves the cottage. Um, but yeah. also then went to Corinthians and it, it didn't work out from there. Now, look, obviously the off-pitch issues have, have massively contributed to that. But you can see why there was scepticism. I, I don't think it's... I, I think it would be revisionism to say that we 
all were like, oh, this is going to work out. This is going to be a great signing. I think that would be madness considering the two years that he'd had before that to, to kind of look at that and be like, this is definitely one. But I also do think that to kind of balance that argument a little bit, it was also fair to say, okay, he's not on massive wages. We haven't paid a fee for him. This is potentially a very sensible signing. And equally, if it does pay off, we've got ourselves a bargain. And if it doesn't, we haven't hugely lost out on much. So that that would be my, my take on it. It's, I think it's perfectly reasonable at the start of this season to be like, ooh, don't know how that one's going to go. But I think equally to be like, oh, he's a complete write-off before he started is madness with any signing. Yeah, I think the other thing that I'll add, and I saw it on Twitter actually, and I hadn't thought about it, but when you look at what he's achieved in his career and at his age now, having had the spell he had at Corinthians, to see a player like that drop into this side and care so much and and buy into this project and the passion that he's shown is just so nice to see. And and I think that's another thing that makes you think that, you know, as long as we're giving him this love and and Marco Silva's trusting in him, I think we'll still see effort and and commitment and performances from Willian because he came from a place at, at Corinthians where, you know, things turned really sour and it was horrible for him. And there aren't, you know, it's not every 34-year-old pitches up in the Premier League having had the career he's had and gives it their all. You know, there have been famous stories of players who turn up and do very little. Sherlock. Maybe. <laughs> Sherlock, I mean, I was going to say... he wasn't well, 34. He was about 27, yeah. but still. <laughs> but also, like, if you look at the moment, like a, like a Diego Costa, who by all accounts and from what I've seen of him is not really up to it. And, and that's both in performance levels, but also attitude and you could not say that about William. no and ne- let us never forget Dempsey's second spell with us at the uh, at the cottage was uh, we don't talk about it it was it, it just it never it happened didn't, it didn't happen no I don't remember it I think yeah sorry I, I don't know why I mentioned it. I forgot that that actually never occurred thank you um, <laughs> especially coming from Texas this is very 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 disrespectful of you I apologize Boo. I hope, hope hope no one heard me through the uh, through the through wall. the walls. You um, have people banging down your door with like a fire extinguisher. <laughs> um, let's just come on to the defense. I was a bit surprised, Jack, to see Diop dropped. Thought mm-hmm. didn't really didn't really understand what he'd done wrong. Um, just Fulham had just got a clean sheet, and so that's naturally the time to change your back four. Um, was there something? Like that, he was. I, I, I'm, I'm baffled what actually Marco is doing here. And like, look, it didn't matter. It doesn't matter um, because we won. I'm just a, don't really understand. Or is it literally? Is he doing squad rotation with our centre backs? I think a little bit of both. Um, I think a little bit of squad rotation, and I think he would have looked at the Leeds press and maybe thought that Tosin's ability with ball at feet might be a line breaker because we've seen this, you know, before where he can stride out of defence and make a difference and ping those balls over the top that can release the likes of Harry Wilson. There was a couple of brilliant ones last year, um, one goal in particular where you know he just launched over the top, picked out Harry Wilson flying down the right and he chipped the keeper and that was that. But I, I think that it's one of those where it would have probably been like, okay, it's three games in a week. We want to rotate a little bit in terms of just keeping legs fresh. I'd imagine that he's very much not trying to isolate Tosin from this side because we know how good he can be. Uh, we know that he is uh, an asset to Fulham in terms of value. And, and we know that they're trying to renew his contract as we speak. So with all of that in mind, I imagine they're just trying to rotate the strike a little bit to make sure that everyone's happy. Um, But I think equally, maybe tactically, he looked at this and thought, 
okay, maybe Tosin's ability to play out will help us against that kind of frenetic Leeds press. Um, so that's what I think he was doing. But I, I'd agree with you that I think uh, Diop will come back in because he was very good against Villa on Thursday night. And and Tosin, I didn't think he was awful, but I didn't think he, he had a brilliant game either. I thought maybe he was a little bit harsh. He should probably do better for the first goal. Obviously, he's taken a crazy deflection. So I think he just loses flight of the ball a little bit and, and therefore can't completely blame him. But I think he could do a little bit better there. He's a little bit, he was a little bit shaky at times, but he did block a few very, very important crosses. Um, he's made a really important block to stop the ball getting to, to Patrick Bamford at one point. And so maybe he's just been a little bit unfairly maligned when ultimately it wasn't always fault, the, the little struggles at the back. And, and I didn't think there was much he could have done for the second goal. So, yeah, I think maybe it's a bit of both. Dan, what's your take on the defence? It's just a bit of a odd situation. And look, I'm not going to come on here and we've done the kind of defence to death, particularly after the Bournemouth um, game. Um, but, you know, it's still another two goals conceded. We don't know who our strongest centre-back pairing is. It is kind of the the only really downside of the, the squad at the moment, the thing that's not kind of solved. And I think after the positivity of keeping a clean sheet against Villa the way that we did concede two goals particularly that second goal for me was just a little bit like oh come on lads um and he kind of wriggles through it was all just a bit shit um so I mean what is the solution here if you if you were Marco what are you doing in the next game against Everton it's difficult because I, I still think that we're having issues of players playing in a back four who aren't used to playing with each other because these aren't problems that are necessarily stemming from individual errors. They just seem to be more of a, a lack of cohesion and a lack of understanding. You've got, you know, like for the first goal, it just all opens up. And yes, it's an individual mistake from Anthony Robinson, which I can excuse because he thinks he can get there and he can't. And that's a really easy mistake to make. Um, but then from there again, you know, Rodrigo ends up sort of just drifting and, and nodding it in. And then the same with the their second goal. It's just a bit messy. No one's tracking a runner. And there are, there are other moments in that game as well, like the Bamford chance, where you can't be allowing a centre a striker to just get in between your two centre-backs like that. And I just think it comes from this lack of cohesion. And my advice, as little as that matters to Marco Silva, would be that we do need, at the very least, a settled centre-back pairing because otherwise these issues are going to keep coming up where players aren't used to playing alongside each other. And it's tough for Tim Ream because Issa Diop and Tosin aren't the same centre-back. So he's continuously having to adjust between the two of them if we're going to chop and change. So I think there, there needs to be some continuity there. And then, yes, I'm sure there are tweaks that can be made, but I do think that time might help us, just, just these players playing together and... Whilst we joked that, you know, it is sustainable scoring three goals because we keep doing it. Eventually, we're going to need to win games 1-0. Like, that's just, it's going to happen. There are games that, you know, we could win 1-0 and we end up getting one point out of due to a, a, a mistake at the back. I think it is something we need to fix. I guess there is an element now, Jack, of like, there's three games until the World Cup. Like, we just need to kind of get through them one of them's a write-off because it's Mad City and I know no game should be a write-off but I think the Etihad is maybe that one um so it's a bit of a weird time no now free where, hits like, just write-offs yeah <laughs> yeah um 
So it's, it's, it's a bit of a funny time, um, really. Let's look at just like Fulham's situation. We're on 18 points after 12 games. We're seventh in the league. I mean, I'm not daring to say it. There have been greater fools than than this. Um, we remember teams like Hull back in the day and their amazing start and uh, they got carried away. Uh, Phil Brown uh, gave them a t- halftime team talk on the pitch and it all fell apart. And there have been other examples of that too. But... What an ludicrous position we are in now in terms of the league, in terms of the table. And I I just can't quite get my head around it. I'm not even sure what I'm asking here, but I just want to just celebrate where we are. And the fact that, look, it's not done till it's done, but my word, we have put in a decent bid for, for, you know, staying up this year. Yeah, 100%. And and look, it's not always going to be easy. There are going to be difficult spells. I imagine in the new year, a lot of teams are going to strengthen. We've seen, and we've talked about this a little bit here, that the teams at the bottom of the league are not necessarily those you'd expect to be there. And therefore there is kind of always that scary thought that they could actually pick up their form and start to to dig themselves out. But we're starting to build a buffer and that's really important. And and basically there's there's an element of if we win against Everton, or Manchester United. Um, I agree with you. I don't, I don't think we're going to beat City, but you know we'll give it a go because we always do. Um, but if we take three points from one of these games, or, or three draws, if you will, I think we're kind of very close to the the concept of if that's the case, and we're on twenty plus points by the time that the World Cup rolls around, we'd have to be almost the worst team in the division over the kind of back half of it to get relegated. I think, and that's a really nice place to be now. Obviously, this is contingent on the fact that it could end up being, you know, a very, very high total to get to to, to actually that gets relegated. Because if people do pick up, if if your Wolves is start to actually convert chances, you know, if Leicester go on their little rocket ship mission, Villa improve. It looks like they're going to improve. Uh, it looks like they're going to appoint Unai Emery. There's a lot of teams down there who you go, oh, okay, could you? put yourselves a little winning run together. But equally, there's a lot of teams at the top of the division who are good. And, and that, mean, that, that would mean that teams are having to go on little rescue missions, and, and a lot of them, in order to just kind of dig themselves out. So as long as we keep building this buffer, it will kind of end up with, a, with an element of, unless we completely comp- collapse, completely implode, it's going to be hard, to, well, it's going to be possible to, to avoid relegation with kind of just consistent... 15th in the league form and at the moment we're, we're trending above that and I, I think that's massive right and and so we can afford a bit of a drop off because these things happen you can go on a slide but if you build the buffer and I keep saying it but it's the same point Brentford did it last year they built the buffer up so that when they actually did go on that slide in the second half of last season they never really actually got dragged into the relegation scrap they're on the edge of it for a while but even the odd result kept dragging them away. And, and that was enough for them to relatively comfortably survive in the end. And, and I think that if we can do the same in terms of building that up over the first half of this season, we'll be in a very good place come January. I mean, Dan, you actually compare the table this time last season to the one that we see now at the bottom. And, you know, this time last year, you had Burnley, Newcastle and Norwich in the bottom three. Um, only Norwich and Burnley actually had a win. They only had one win. Newcastle still didn't have a win by, by this stage. We know that they turned it around um, in the end. Um, it feels like, especially when I saw that 
kind of Nottingham Forest result against Liverpool, I was like, God, this Premier League is going to be relentless this year and everyone is going to win some games. It, don't, it feels like no one's going to be cut adrift. Yeah, to, uh, this is this is going to be slightly ridiculous, but to very loosely quote a very good poem uh, by Rudyard Kipling, you know, if if you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs, you'll be a man, my son. This is exactly what we're doing. We are actually like the, the, that. I know you said that there are good teams down there, and that, and that's a problem. But I think the importance of a win yesterday, taking us up to seventh, is you look at that you know, from sort of 13th below, it's just chaos within all of those clubs at the moment. Like there are very few clubs down there who are currently, you know, holding strong or taking a measured view of things. And, and me and me and Jack spoke about it, but there are clubs making really rash decisions right now. And part of that I think is to do with the World Cup. And that almost, I think, plays into our favour of, of just teams seeing this as like the World Cup as an opportunity to chop and change and to make a huge decision because you've got time. And I think the problem with that is that you make a decision then. And what happens if come the 26th of December, when you've had five to 10 players at the World Cup who haven't been spending time with the new manager, what if you haven't improved? Whereas we're in such a stable position right now that I think that's really important. And the fact that there are going to be eight to 10 teams in this conversation means there are going to be rastishisms along the way. And, you know, we're going to see teams doing things that would really surprise you. And that could include teams spending ludicrous amounts of money in January, which I think is, is, you know, you're looking at Forest who are already again looking at more players. So I think <laughs> this is, it's so important that, you know, this is the thing that sent us down both last times was we had no stability at all and we made rash decisions. And ultimately, sometimes they come off, but I think in general, without making decisions like that, without weighing up all of the pros and cons, like Wolves have done, have ended up with their under-18s manager managing until post-World Cup, they, they've shot themselves in the foot completely. Whereas we've got stability for once in the Premier League and, and capitalising on that is huge. And I think it gives us a really great chance. And as Jack said, we now no longer need to be churning out wins at the rate of a, of a top half team to get ourselves safe. You know, we can actually be the fourth best side in the league for the rest of the season and we'd still stay up. Fourth worst. The fourth worst, sorry. <laughs> I was going to say, if we're the fourth best, then like, I'd expect hoping for a little bit more. I mean, I'd be uh, getting we're, my passport renewed. We're only three points off being fourth best, so I wasn't far off. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, massively exciting times. Um, I feel like I have lived a bit more vicariously via you, Dan, after missing out on uh, what sounded like the away day of all away days uh, yesterday at, uh, at Elland Road. Uh, so we're going to take another break afterwards. We're going to go stateside. A very special part three of the Fulhamish podcast. We've never gone on the road quite like this. I'm live in Austin, Texas at the Hob Squad Brewing Company. Halftime, 8.45 in the morning. We're currently watching Fulham Leeds. It's one all at halftime. We're all quite jolly. Who knows how we'll feel at uh, full time once you guys are all listening to this. And I'm joined by... Drew, Stephen and Justin from Fulham, Texas. Drew, thank you so much for having us. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure to see where you guys watch Fulham games. Yeah, I mean, it's great to have you here. Um, the, it, the Hop Squad has, has been a great host for us. Uh, this is our first year making an official Fulham Watch Pub. But uh, yeah, they, they've been very welcoming and I'm glad you guys could, could join us here. 
yeah, it's really just great to get a taste of Fulham in America. I mean, this is so cool. This is this is Fulham, yeah. and there must be a good full dozen people here in this pub watching Fulham at eight in the morning. Um, Stephen, I know this has been a ritual for you watching Fulham from the states for for many years. Is it incredible to see now like Fulham having a presence in the U.S.? It's so cool. It is. We continue to kind of grow each year. It's been hard with the going up and down, but uh, this year we're seeing more and more, and so it's in, we're continuing to grow. So it's been enjoyable. Now, Justin here. Now, if you're a long-standing listener to this podcast, you'll know our feature. This will catch on. I think Justin still may have written the best ever. This will catch on. You might remember his little ditty, Metro in Open Space. <laughs> still one of the greats. Still one of the greats, Justin. It's so good to have you on. Hey, it's good to be here. You know, once I saw you guys were going to be in town, I knew I had to drop in and, you know, say hello, introduce myself. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's great being a, a Fulham fan here in Texas. I mean, I don't know about everybody else. I got my start thanks to Clint Dempsey. He's from Nacogdoches, Texas, uh, right up the road from where I'm from, small town in Texas. Um, so it's been really great. And I have to say it was a very surreal moment hearing my, uh, hearing my voice on your live show. Uh, that was, that was a, little, a little strange for me to hear, but I appreciate it. Charlie Cooper giving his thoughts on Micho and open space. Um, I mean, Justin, do you think that those American players uh, you know, through the years, the Dempsey's, the Bocanegra's, the McBride's, and now that the Robinson's and the Reams, do you think that's helped Fulham become... You know, I always say to people that for a club our size, we shouldn't have this many fans in the States as we do. Yeah, no, I think that that's absolutely been huge. I mean, having that American pipeline just consistently through the years has really helped to bring in new fans. I mean, you know, I always joke that you can see generally when people started following the Premier League by the club that they chose, like Man United in like the late 90s, early 2000s, then Chelsea, then Liverpool, Man City. But like, I don't know, I feel like the original soccer fans in the U.S., really wanted to see Fulham because they knew that there was always going to be that solid American player there. Uh, and Drew, like, talk to us about um, Fulham, Texas, how it started, yeah, yeah. you know, that, that uh, path to becoming an official international supporters club and, and what it meant, you know, I thought it was a really cool thing that the club did, you know, recognizing different supporters clubs from around the world. They put you on the advertising hoardings at yeah. Craven Cottage as well, which must be so cool to see your name up in lights there. You know, it's, it's, it's a labor of love supporting Fulham in England. So doing it from a completely different time zone, we're six hours behind the UK yeah. here in Texas. So yeah, what was that path like? And also how cool was it to be, you know, properly recognized by the club? Yeah, I mean, the, I, I guess this started like 12 years ago and or 10 years ago. And, and we just kind of bounced around from pub to pub, whoever would put a game up. And, you know, we, we'd, we'd have to work around the bigger clubs. And we the first game I went to was at a now defunct uh, Irish pub downtown Austin, and and uh, it was a, a full on Man U game, and uh, it, you know we were kind of drowned out by the Man U supporters there, but they 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 would give us a, a little corner where we could watch our you know, with a TV where we could watch our games, but then they closed down and then we had no home, so we just bounced around, and uh, and and we we finally found this place where we're they're committed to to, to showing the games. Um, but yeah, I mean, getting the recognition from the club, we were scrounging around, like making sure, you know, get, getting guys to, to buy the membership so that we could qualify for an official club. And once we got that, then they gave, they gave us the recognition and, and the club has been super supportive anytime we come over uh, for, for a match, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll um, you know, they, they took us on a tour last time we were there. 
they've they've done they've done right by it. I put you on the on the website. Uh, yeah, talking about I got Clint to Dempsey. I got to talk about Clint Dempsey for the uh, best goal scorer. So um, yeah, it was it's it's kind of crazy to reach out and be able to you know have some interaction with the club being this far away. Yeah, there's kind of an open communication line. Any time uh, anytime we need something, we we reach out and they're they're very supportive. And look, there might be some other Fulham fans in Texas that maybe listen to this podcast and, and, and aren't aware of what you guys do. So, like, how do people become a member of Fulham Texas? Do they reach out on Twitter? Yeah, for sure. And and unfortunately, the the the, the two main organizers aren't here, Dean and Sam. Um, but yeah, they can reach out on Twitter. Um, we you know we have various. There's a Fulham FC Texas Facebook group. Um, they they can they can check that out. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we get uh, the first game of the season. We had a, a father daughter that came down from Fort Worth that got up at three in the morning to drive down here to watch the game. So we'll get some, you know, week to week, we'll get people showing up from Houston, people showing up from Dallas. We had a, a couple from Asheville, North Carolina earlier this year. And they just come, they, they find out, they, they see us on, on social media. They see that we're watching the game and they come to check it out. So we, we get people from all over. And Stephen, it's a, it feels like a proper flavor of Texas. I mean, we're all drinking beer here at we're eight, we're eight in, which actually feels very British, actually. Um, but like, there's there's a hammy end beer in this pub as well. And um, and what was that thing I ate for breakfast, which looks like a bread roll, but filled with surprises? Kolache. So it's kind of a German style bread breakfast with egg in it kind of thing. So uh, it's it's more traditional German style, but we've got, we get just some breakfast tacos too. So. Yeah, I've been enjoying a lot of my uh, barbecue and my Tex-Mex since uh, being out here. George, who's with me as well, has been. But yeah, I mean, pretty cool that there's uh, there's literally a beer here named after our, our rightful place, the Hammersmith End. Yeah, they actually let us kind of give, uh, almost name it. So we gave a lot of suggestions and they like the hand me in. So we, we've gone with that. So I'm currently enjoying a pint of it. Um, it's very early, but it's, it's, a, it's a kind of like a dark um, beer. It's like 4.1%, but I'm enjoying it, you know, and it feels like, I was going to say it feels like home, but to be honest, just having a, uh, a Camden Hells or a Carlsberg actually feels like the Hammersmith End. It's much nicer than anything you would actually get in the Hammersmith End. Yeah, it's, uh, it's an English mild, so it's got a little bit more flavor in it, so. Justin, looking at Fulham this season, like what have you made of, of how we're playing back in the Premier League? You know, we don't know what this game is going to end up at. It's currently been quite a good half for us, but it's been so nice watching Fulham play positively in the Premier League. I imagine the watch parties here have been pretty fun this year. Yeah, it's a, it's a huge improvement. I mean, obviously, the last time we were in the Prem, it was tough because during COVID and then, you know, just hard to get any kind of decent results kind of strung together, but it's been great to see us putting together points and putting together performances that are, are very solid all around. Uh, just hoping that Mitro's okay. That's my, uh, you know. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see. And George um, is, is here with me. Um, George, what have you made of coming to watch Fulham, Texas? It's pretty, uh, it's been pretty sick, hasn't it, to, to see it in action? Oh, it's incredible. It's that famous American hospitality, you know, we've been welcomed with open arms. Really cool little place here. Like, I like it. It's these huge kind of brewing tankards, big pull down screens, like everything that you'd want from a place to watch the football, you know, surrounded by friendly faces, fellow, fellow Fulham fans from across the Atlantic. And uh, yeah, no, it's been great fun. It was quite weird, like pulling up here eight in the morning. There's no cars around. It's a Sunday morning and suddenly you just start seeing like Fulham shirts in cars and it just feels so surreal. Um, if you are in the Texas area and you don't follow the Fulham Texas boys, then yeah, absolutely make sure you do. Um, so Drew, um, on 
you know from Fulhamish and, and everyone here thank you so much for for having us today and um it's been it's been really great to kind of get a flavor of what you guys go through every morning absolutely we need to make this an annual thing if you're coming in for the the grand prix <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah every every time we we gotta i mean it's nice that the schedule worked out and that that, that you guys could could get here early before you have to make your way back out to the uh, circuit of the americas but yeah we, we need to do it every year and Austin, if, not, if people haven't visited, like, it's such an awesome town, you know, I think like, you know, you've got your American classics, your New York, your LA's, yeah. your Florida's, but actually it's, it's a wicked little place to uh, come to if, uh, if people haven't been. Yeah, second that, it's the coolest place on earth. It's like, it's like all the best bits of America kind of dumped in this town and there's so many, like every single like little food place is like the best Tex-Mex and steak and barbecue you've ever had but all little independent places really cool kind of like bohemian vibe here i like it I like it a lot yeah so definitely uh, if you happen to be in austin as well like make sure uh, and you want to watch a fulham game then you then you know where to uh, to drop by and um yeah Stephen, uh thank you for being here as well and chatting to us on the pod and also uh Stephen owns a vineyard and uh, you got us a couple of bottles of rosé from your vineyard so thank you very much for those yeah more than welcome we're super excited to have you guys uh you know this is my you guys are my favorite podcast so just a little way to give back and justin can we expect any more songs anytime soon We'll see. You know, I'm busy with a seven-week-old daughter right now, but, uh, you know, maybe it'll come to me at three in the morning when I'm changing diapers or something, you know? <laughs> it's the, uh, the difficult second single, you know? Like. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> Try not to be a one-hit wonder, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it's tough. <laughs> it's also um, a big day here in Austin because Austin FC, who uh, their stadium uh, is, is just... Uh, you can see it from where we are um, right now, and they're in the MLS playoffs tonight against... Uh, Dallas it's the Formula One today as well but most importantly it is Fulham Leeds and the second half is about to begin so we should uh, finish there but yeah I just want to extend my thanks to the Fulham Texas boys back to the podcast Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy here with Jack and Dan. Thank you so much to the boys from Fulham, Texas for hosting uh, myself and Coops uh, yesterday. Uh, we have recorded also a, a bit of a vlog of our day out to the Hot Squad Brewery. Um, so keep an eye out on the Fulhamish YouTube um, to see how our trip uh, to North Austin to, to meet all the lads uh, went down. Uh, it should be out in the next uh, couple of days. Uh, just gives you a bit of an insight into what it is like following Fulham stateside. Um, boys, are you uh, planning your trips out to Austin? Yeah, already. Already. Although uh, it's home of Austin FC, isn't it? Which is owned by Andrew Precourt, who's the man that tried to disassemble the Columbus crew. So I, I do have a slight issue with that. But alas, here we are. Well, actually, Austin FC yesterday won their uh, playoff game against uh, Dallas. That was the other topic of conversation yesterday at the Hot Squad Breweries because quite a few of them. Um, That's a Texas derby. Big. Yeah, uh, but um, the Hot Squad Brewery is right next to that new Austin FC stadium. So um, they were all very excited um, for the perfect Austin day, which was uh, Fulham in the morning, uh, Circuit of the Americas, the US Grand Prix in the afternoon, and then the evening uh, watching uh, Austin Dallas. Good day, um, good day. Yesterday in the, uh, in the MLS playoffs. And yeah, there was a lot of excitement and um, 
We even got bought a couple of uh, Los Verdes Austin FC scarves, um, which was uh, which was very nice by uh, by the clientele at Hop Squad Brewery. Honestly, everyone was uh, absolutely lovely. Anyway, thank you very much for listening today. The only thing that we need to do is name the podcast. Jack, out of all of those brilliant three-word reviews, despite them probably being um, factually incorrect, uh, which one would you like to go for? I'm going for Rachel's The Firing Squad because I feel like that's a that's like it, it's vague enough that even if it happens in the future then we've contributed so that's fair enough yeah no it's a really really good um three word review i loved sack to sack wins but i do appreciate that uh it's not quite uh, i know you should never let the truth get in the way of a good story but equally i, I feel like this it's is also slightly... not a three word review sammy it's <laughs> yeah. I've, I've got a slight gripe with this because I, I I have been known to hyphenate in three word reviews to try and make it three words, but that three word review has hyphenated it down to two words. And so it's, it's either two or four, but it's definitely not three. <laughs> it's very true. I hadn't thought about it that way. I must admit, I, I think I was the one that retweeted it off the Fulhamish account and I was like, oh yeah, this is class. And yeah, I hadn't even actually done the quick check that it's three words sorry um, matt i feel like we've taken you apart here but uh, i'm afraid it's gonna have to it's gonna have to be rachel's sorry matt anyway great stuff love you three word views after every match uh, do get involved after the everton game if you fancy it to my guests dan cook thank you very much oh it's been an absolute pleasure as always sammy and uh you're gonna be on cloud nine for the rest of the week uh, honestly, I woke up so happy this morning. I, I was on the tube. I, I had the iPlayer uh, match of the day downloaded and I watched the William goal back and just kept on pressing the back 20 seconds thing. I watched it about five times in a row just to hear the roar of the away end. Incredible. And Jack Collins, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Sammy. Safe trip home and I'll see you on Thursday. Yeah, uh, Jack and I have got the Thursday club on Thursday, as you'd guess. Uh, this is a hat sure trick. If- That's a hat trick. <laughs> Uh, is a hat three pods in a row uh we don't know if peter's going to be on um get well soon uh peter hopefully he'll be back for uh for, for thursday uh we shall see um but uh yeah he's been uh recovering after an op so uh it'd be nice to hopefully get peter back on the show next week but we will see uh but we'll be previewing uh the everton game that is on saturday Plus, we're also going to be speaking to Edie Kelly, uh, who is in the Fulham women's team, uh, all about their big debut at Craven Cottage, which is coming up the week after the men's season uh, takes the break for the World Cup, which is uh, yeah a really, really positive step and, uh, and hugely exciting. So we're going to be hearing from Edie all about that. So make sure you listen to the podcast later in the week. But until then, have a good one. Come on, you whites. You whites.